Hi, Jim Kosho here from Dunn Lumber. Welcome to today's Dunn Solutions podcast, where we're committed to providing cutting-edge industry knowledge for the building contractor and trade professional. Today, we'll hear from Shelley Lucas-Kennedy with American Insurance Associates. Shelley has been educating and serving her clients in the Pacific Northwest for over 30 years. In this podcast, Shelley will be explaining the different options you have when managing your risk and encouraging you to document, document, document. Shelley will also cover the following, why you should view your insurance policies as a contract and accept the fact that by signing, you give the insurer full authority to settle claims any way they choose. She will help you understand that as a general contractor, you're already guilty if you are sued, and the only way to minimize exposure is the quality of your policy and paperwork. Shelley will explain what it means to do work in a type two indemnity state and discuss why you should consider adding cyber liability to your policy if you own a cell phone. If you have additional questions for Shelley, please go to AmericanInsuranceAssociates.com. And to attend a future product information breakfast, you can email me at jimc at dunlumber.com. Thank you, Tracy. All right, so the irony of this is that I'm going to talk about risk management principles, and I'm sitting in a wheelchair. So... <laughs> It was a non-fault accident, <laughs> and it's bef- definitely been eye-opening. I used to be real big in Rampathon, and, and now I'm in a wheelchair, so it's, it's a, been a, an experience. <laughs> anyway, let's get started. Okay, so most people don't understand what risk management is, and risk management is a way of managing risk that we all take each day. We walk outside of our house, and we could get hit by a car, so... We make decisions in our daily life every time. And so some of those methods basically that we learn is you avoid a risk. You, you stay in your house or you don't do that project. You, you decide that project's too hard and we're not going to do that. Or you minimize that risk. Well, we're going to do that project, but we're going to hire subcontractors to do it instead of having our own employees do it. You're going to transfer it which is basically what insurance is. You decide to buy an insurance policy so that if anything happens, that is going to be who pays for that risk that you've taken. So basically, you've transferred your risk to an insurance company, and then you accept a risk, which is basically doing that project. I'm using projects because you're contractors. But you do the project, and you accept all that risk knowing that it could potentially go wrong. So think of it as just like I drove out that day, or I wasn't driving, my fiancé was, but we, we, we left our home, we were in a vehicle, and we accepted that risk by doing that, and this is what happened. So fortunately, I have insurance. <laughs> the other guy didn't have much insurance, but I have insurance. So one of the things that I always say is, and it sounds kind of ironic coming from someone who actually sells insurance, is the... the the most expensive and least effective way to handle your risk is to buy insurance because it just assumes the worst is going to happen, right? And the, and the least expensive and most effective is qualifying your subcontractors and handling all your contracts properly. If you do that, then you end up paying less for your insurance because you're able to show that you've, you're managing your risk in other ways. It's gone. <laughs> so we've all seen that commercial that the lady gets in the car accident and it's a, did you, you know, you're, you hope you have insurance and you pull out your policy and what do you see? Blah, 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 right? Have we all seen that? That cracks me up every time. So <laughs> basically an insurance policy is a contract. You've decided to transfer your risk and for a certain amount of money, your premium that you pay, you're transferring that risk to the insurance company. And you've basically given them all the rights up to, say, a million dollars that you've done. And this can be very hard when there comes a claim. And I've got some people here in the room who have had to, had to know, know this the hard way. is When you transfer that risk to the insurance company, you've given them the right to settle that claim any way they see fit. So the insurance policy is a contract. And a contract is, as it says up here, is basically the dictionary versions of all that. But it has to be an agreement between parties, competent parties, and you have to have some sort of consideration. So when you buy an insurance policy, you're paying the premium, and that's your consideration. What you do to minimize your risk additionally on top of that is the documentation and doing things that the insurance company requires of you as part of that policy. And unfortunately, that gets lost a lot of the time when the agents sell the policies. They're not 
usually communicating as well as they should all the things that you're required to do to in fact have the insurance policy pay. So it's just important to understand that it's a contract. And you'd be amazed, I've sat in, in, in rooms of, of CE credits for my own industry and the instructor will say, is an insurance policy a contract? And everybody kind of looks dumbfounded and I'm like, oh, that's so scary. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, next slide, please. So most of the insurance policies, if you're a general contractor, and since this is remodelers, I'm gonna talk more from the general contractor perspective. But keep in mind as subcontractors that that agreement protects you as well. So while you don't want to sign them and they look really ominous, they are a protection for both sides. It's better to have to plan the divorce before the marriage. Sorry, honey. <laughs> so, so if you read the contracts and you adhere to them, then that it really is a protection for both sides. So in those contracts, when you buy insurance, they usually have what we call a subcontractor warranty. And that says you must do all these things with your subcontractors which most of that is, is getting the signed subcontractor agreements and their insurance certificates, which we'll talk more about here in a few minutes. One of the things that um, when you're transferring risk, avoiding risk, or minimizing risk is to understand the different levels of the parties involved. So on the, on the handout, the, the one big packet on there, I'm talking about number one. So when you're, when you're in a, buying insurance and you call up my favorite thing is they'll call up and say, I'm a general contractor, how much is that gonna cost? And I'm like, well, I don't know, I need a house built. How much does that cost? <laughs> There's just so much more to it. So basically, we need to determine when we're talking to you what, you're, what you do, and it gets more expensive as it goes. So you start off with the handyman type guy who works just for private owners. Very little risk involved with that because it's a single solitary contract. And as you grow on that list, if you look at that, it starts talking about remodelers doing more extensive projects. They go from the kitchen and bath, and then they increase to maybe doing exterior work or additions. And as you go down that list, and I, I kind of itemize it down to you know home building, custom home building, and then you get to spec building, and then you get to the larger spec projects with multifamily, all the way down to building a condo, which is basically the biggest risk you can take because if you build a condo, you will be sued. It's just, just the way it goes. It's gonna happen, so just prepare for it. So that is an important thing to understand because when, we, when, we, when you come to us for insurance, we need to understand what you do because what we're gonna do to keep your costs down is back your policy up to what you do. So if you don't do condos, then it should be okay to exclude condo work you don't work in tract homes, it should be okay to exclude tract homes. And all those things that we exclude from the base policy that's written all give you credits so that your premium's less. So it's very, very important when you're talking to your agent to be very clear as to what it is you're planning on doing. And ironically, usually somebody tells me, oh no, no, I'm not gonna do multifamily or I'm not gonna do a condo and then we, we set a policy all up and within two weeks they call up with, oh, I've got this new opportunity to build a condo and I'm like, Okay, here we go again. <laughs> so anyway, so but that's the idea of it. And if you're the jack of all trades that like builds a fence one week and a condo the next, and then you're gonna do some excavation work and whatever, that's the worst nightmare for someone like me because we can't put any exclusions on there to minimize your premium in any way. You just get the base policy and you're gonna pay a lot for it. So who's responsible in matter of law? People don't, um, you, we have strict liabilities. If you're a general contractor in this state and you're sued, you're basically guilty. You, you, there's, no, there's no innocent in it. You're just how guilty you are. And how guilty you are is directly tied to your paperwork, not your project. You can build a perfect project, a perfect house, and if you get sued, it's not gonna be about that. It's gonna be about the paperwork. And that's why we're doing this tonight. Document, document, document. You need to keep those files in order so that when the time comes, you can present them. That is, I mean, absolutely the most important thing. Um, contractual liability and everything must match. I go crazy. I go out to audit with one of my clients, and I find that nothing matches. The, the names on everything are different, especially if they have different LLCs per project and things like that. It's like nothing matches, nothing's signed. The dates are off. They're, the dates are after the thing was done. It's that, that's you go to court. You just may as well just be naked in town square because they're gonna. They're, you're going down, <laughs> and hopefully you've transferred enough risk 
to the insurance company that they're going to pay for it. But that's really what happens. And it's unfortunate because there is no, there is no innocent. The biggest risk for the contractors from both sides, from the subcontractor or the general contractor, are two things. First one is action over claims, which is where a subcontractor's employee is injured on the job site and they sue the general contractor. So they collect from L&I, and they usually come three or four years down the road, depending on the statute of limitations. And then all of a sudden, as a general contractor, you're served a summons and complaint, and it's from somebody falling off a roof, and you don't even remember them. The subcontractor is probably out of business, and you hope and pray that you have that subcontractor agreement and certificate. So I'm going to tell you a real-life story. I can't tell you who this is, but it's a client of mine. They built a custom home. And then, sure enough, three years later, they got the, the employee, subcontractor's employee, roof care by Raphael. I can say that because he's out of business. <laughs> so, sure enough, we had, they, they had their certificate, additional insured certificate. They had all the subcontractor agreement signed. We actually, my other company handled all that for them. So, we were golden. We turned the claim in. They do their investigation. Paperwork, paperwork. We had to show everything. They dug through everything. Well, somewhere in an email... One of the superintendents made a comment about not knowing if they were tied off. That was it. They were guilty, and this guy got like a million four, right? So, and it was, it came from an attorney that I didn't recognize. Usually I know if I see Bishop Firm on something, I'm like, just turn it in and just forget about it. You're just the bad guy, and they're going to pay, and just don't even, it's going to be horrible for you. But in this case, it was an attorney I didn't know. So I thought, okay, we're in good shape. Sure enough, he got the money. Well, next thing you know, somebody else, another employee from Roof Care by Raphael, fell off the roof. <laughs> I'm like, oh, here we go. It was basically rubber stamp because they'd already done all their investigation through all their documents and found that one email. So he ended up getting, I think it was $800,000. Next thing you know, another employee supposedly fell off this roof. By this time, it was just absurd. So, and this is, a, this is somebody you all know. So we get it, I turn it in. We were able to prove through the AP reports, the accounts payable reports, that Roof Care by Raphael had been paid and gone as of the date that that employee supposedly fell off that roof. So it was all, it was all bogus. I mean, and they paid. And, you know, they're, and what happens when they pay, so it's great the insurance company pays, but then your rates go through the ceiling for five years. So, you, you, you know, you want to do everything you can to make sure your insurance company does not pay because ultimately you never pay as much as what the claim would have been, of course, but you're, you're going to pay. So that's, I mean, it was unfortunate, but we were like, woohoo, we won, we won. And really we didn't win because a lot was paid out and it was unfortunate. And that was with great paperwork. One little email, that's all it took. So, um, Coverage issues. We'll talk a little more later about the specifics when you're getting additional insured certificates. But you can make business decisions to not require things. It's a risk. It's, again, you're, you're, you're accepting that risk. You're saying, I'm not going to require auto liability from my subs because it's too complicated and too much work. And then a claim happens, and it's your risk. You did not do what was necessary. Most of the insurance companies don't say that you have to have the auto liability, but it's a good idea, believe me. Um, disclaimers and warranties, that's from your purchase and sale contracts. You need to make sure that you have a mold disclaimer in there. It's allowed in Washington State by uh, RCW 2139. allows you to disclaim certain things. You can't disclaim everything, but you can say, we don't have mold insurance, we don't cover you for mold, and put those in your contracts, and it's legal. You need to put the right to repair language, which I've included in that packet as well. If you don't put that language in your purchase and sales agreements or your sales contracts, you can't use that law as a defense. Those are called affirmative defenses when that happens. You have to, you have to do whatever's necessary in your documentation, and if you do, then when you go to court, because you're already guilty, then you can use that affirmative defense, and it will reduce what ends up being paid out. Basically, if someone sues you, your insurance company is going to pay something, even if it's just $5,000 to make them go away. It's just, it's just what happens. Um, home maintenance manuals. If you're, if you're doing new construction, that's one of your best friends is to have them sign off on a home maintenance manual because 90% of the claims that we see, especially water damage, unless it's truly the nail in the pipe, it's because they aren't caulking. They are, you know, using their, this is a good one, they are using their... Um, 
bathtub spout is a handle, and then they they wonder why they've had problems and leakage behind it. It's just mind blowing, with the things that the homeowners come up with. But you are the bad builder, and it's your fault, and it'll be your fault for how long? Does anyone know here how long it is you can you you can be sued for? Six years, right? Six years. So from substantial completion of your project, and that I put that law also in that packet that will be mailed to you, but it's six years from substantial completion, which is defined in the RCW as when it could have been put to its intended use. So if it sits for a while, that's it's still tolling. It's still counting towards your six years. Beyond that six years, they can't sue you. And so you'll find most of the Damage type claims will come at five years, nine months, like clockwork. They come in. It's just like the action over claims. So back to your two biggest risks. Your biggest risks are action over, the subcontractors, employees being hurt on the job site. Those are always bad, and they're usually always six digits at least, and they drag on forever. Or your uh, property damage claims, water damage being the biggest one. And those always come, again, right before the six years is up. And the same thing with the action over. It's usually a three-year statute of limitations. So later we're going to talk about some of the things that you can do to help because you know you're already guilty, right? Did I make that clear? Insurance policy is a contract, and you're guilty. Okay, as long as we're clear. <laughs> Change screens. It's true. <laughs> um, didn't we already that just added that to the bottom. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right, so when the insurance companies, they're saying, okay, we're going to accept your, your million dollars of your risk for X amount of premium, and we've worked out some exclusions so that you don't have to pay for what you're not doing. So that's how we get that $50,000 policy down to a $5,000 policy is putting on those exclusions. But most of the carriers, all of them have some sort of warranty that they say, you, you know, in order for this contract to be valid, you have to do this for us. And part of this for us is always getting signed subcontractor agreements that have hold harmless and indemnifications. Um, they usually say we, you have to have an AM best, better, or rated carrier from your subcontractors. So I've included in there the ambest.com, and that's where you look that up. And they don't accept risk retention groups. And there's one main one out there, pro builders, that you'll see on certificates. And the policies, those are dirt cheap. Those subs can buy those policies, you know, three, $400. I mean, they're nothing, right? Well, there's a reason. <laughs> it doesn't cover anything. And a risk retention group is where the policyholders all share in the risk together. So it's intentional that it doesn't cover anything because they don't want to pay a claim because if they paid a claim, they'd all have to pay it together. So that's the reasoning behind that. So if you see pro builders, you just should never accept a certificate. You need to go to that. And sometimes the subs buy those, and they don't even realize what they've bought. So, you know, and they get pushed back, but you're really doing someone a favor because if they thought they've transferred their risk to an insurance company, if a claim happens, and if they have bad insurance and there's a claim and the insurance company doesn't pay, they lose their house, their kid's college fund. It's not pretty. And it, it truly, it happens. Um, so most of them say that they want the same general liability limit so you, as, as what you have or a minimum of a million, two million. Um, most of them don't say auto liability, but I'm here to tell you that best practices are, which is why I set up their insurance company requirements and best practices. Auto liability is huge, and I'm going to tell you another story. So my custom builder bought a spot lot at the end of a development. There was a, it was a large master plan community, and there was all these different builders. Well, those homes were being sold and occupied, so there was activity going on. So my builder hires, I think he was a plumber. I can't remember plumber. This was, gosh, like 20 years ago, actually. They, uh, so he hired a plumber who hired a lower-tier sub to work for him. That lower-tier sub driving out ran over and killed a little boy. So big deal, big deal. Everybody's sued. Everybody's guilty. Well, the contractor is guilty. Remember, he's guilty, and you have to prove yourself innocent. There's no innocent involved. I mean, it's just how bad you're going to pay. So my guy was the contractor. When it was all said and done, we found out that the lower-tier sub was really just his brother-in-law, who didn't have a driver's license and had no insurance. He was the sub that he, had hired him, didn't have any kind of auto liability. Now, fortunately for my guy, I had put on what's called non-owned and hired auto on his policy. So he had a million dollars, and that full million was paid out on that. 
and then it pretty much put him out of business because a million didn't cover a little boy getting killed. I mean, that's just, it was tragic. It was horrible. So, and he was a nice man. I mean, it just, it was really bad. Anyway, so auto liability is really important. Now, reason why you want to get that from your subs, or you as subs, you want to have the non-owned lot of, lot of bleh, non-owned auto liability is for that very reason, because those things happen, and, and they never are small. I mean, I, one of my clients just had, uh, down in Texas, just had, uh, he pulled up, ran into the job shack, and he left his car running, right, like we would all do if you're just going to run in and throw some keys on a desk or something, and he ran back out and pulled out, and one of the sub's employees decided to stop behind the running truck and tie his shoe. So we backed right over and ran him over. Accident? Or intentional. Hmm. Who knows, right? So fortunately, my client has non-owned auto liability being named in that lawsuit. What was really bad is this poor guy was driving his own truck. And insurance follows the auto first. So he's primary on that. And he only had, you know, 100,000 or something limits. Like the guy who hit me only had 100,000 limits to pay out. So it's going to destroy this this poor guy's life. I mean, we're, we're trying to get the the coverage from my builder's policy to take over it, but he, they're not responsible. It's not their auto. They're re- they've got coverage if they're at, for their portion of the suit, which is going to happen, but this guy's in bad shape. So, again, from your own personal standpoint, you know, I, the reason why I'm going to be okay because this guy only had $100,000 limits to pay out for me is because I have a million-dollar uninsured motorist to take care of it. So I'm going to be okay. But, you know, a lot of people don't know that or to do that or they buy, like Bob can tell you, really low limits. And if that insurance weren't in place, then I would be responsible for all this medical. Very important. Washington State stopgap is employer's liability coverage, which is you have workers' compensation in Washington, which is the, the medical bills and the time loss. Employer's liability is everything else but that. It's the family suing because of loss of enjoyment of life and things like that. So very important if you're a sub who's working for you, because remember, we're talking about requirements of your insurance company saying to you for this great premium we're giving you, you must do all these things or obtain all these things from your subcontractors. And stopgap is one of them. And it's, it's overlooked a lot. And in those packets, so, um, uh, watch this stuff. Okay, so to look up their LNI certificates, I put the website, and all this is going to be, this presentation is going to be emailed to you. So that's the website that you can go look that up. And I put in that packet an example of how to look that up and with lines to show you what you're looking for to make sure they're active and have a good workers' compensation account. If they don't, and they're on your project, and they don't pay their premiums, then you become responsible for their premiums. It's really that's a really bad deal. So you never want to pay a sub if they don't have an active LNI account. And this is the website where you look that up. In that paperwork, there's a an employer's liability workers' compensation certificate that you can print off the website. If you print that off the website and it's dated within 11 months. Of, the, of when they are defunct on their premiums, then you, d- you aren't held responsible. It's another one of those affirmative defenses. If you do this, then you have a defense. Otherwise, you're responsible for their premiums. And it, that happens all the time, too. Um, if the sub says, I don't have any employees, you'd like to get, there's an example in there of a, a letter you can have them sign saying, I don't have any employees, that's why I don't have an LNI account, or when they do, and it says in there basically, you're agreeing that if you do hire somebody that now you're responsible to get the stopgap insurance, employer's liability, all the different things that are required of of, of having an employee. So it's a a way of trying to stop that because you have no control. You don't know if they're hiring employees or subcontractors necessarily. I love it when the the framers come and they're like, oh, I have no employees. And I'm like, well, how do you lift the wall? (laughs) You know, it's bad. And here's here's another great example. of So my client had a framer out there, said he didn't have any employees. Same thing I'm talking about. Fortunately, we had all the right stuff in the file, and they had a no subletter. They actually asked another subcontractor on the job for employees to come over and help them lift the wall, and then the wall fell on all of them. So the subcontractor that was helping, just out of the goodness of their heart, their policy had what's called a volunteer labor exclusion, so they volunteered their labor to help these people, so their policy didn't cover anything. 
And this policy, it was maxed out because it was well, there's five of them. This that this claim is still going on. So I mean, it, you just be, I mean, just the littlest thing happens on the job site, and if you're the general contractor, it's all on you. Then, if you're a general contractor building for a custom home builder, or you're building for another party, an owner, if when you run out, then they go after the owner, and then the owner's going to sue you. <laughs> so, very bad deal, round robin. Just like with an action over claim, if the sub's employees injured and sues, and then they get all their money, and L&I has also paid out their 66 and two-thirds percent payroll for them for the three years before they sued you, but it, it turns out that you're found negligent, that there really was a negligence involved, then L&I is going to sue you, try to get their money back. So <laughs> it's, it's a mess. It's a terrible mess. Tracy actually knows a lot about that. <laughs> Okay, um, so the Certificate of Workers' Compensation, there's an example in there, and there's the website. The last thing is another affirmative defense that you can do is to have a safety contractor questionnaire in your subagreement, and the example of that is also in there, and to have some sort of disciplinary policy if your subcontractors aren't providing, they're supposed to provide the safety agreements and all that to the general contractor when they're hired. So... As you can see, some of you don't work with this all the time. It's a lot of paper. It's a lot of stuff and a lot of boxes to check. And what happens is, is everybody gets busy and just wants to build the house or complete the remodeling job, and the paperwork goes by the wayside. But if you don't have that paperwork, you could build the perfect project, and if you don't have the paperwork, you're going to get sued and you're going to lose every time. May as well, again, like I said earlier, just walk in with your pants down and take the flogging. <laughs> it's just the way it's going to be. It's terrible. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, this is kind of weird doing this from a wheelchair. <laughs> All right. Um, all right, so with your written subcontractor agreements, you need the indemnification and hold harmless agreement. And indemnification... People ask me all the time, what does that mean? Indemnification means to pay back. So when you're a subcontractor and you sign that agreement and it's got an indemnification and you're signing it for your general contractor, you're saying you're going to pay them back for any claims that you're responsible for, that you've been negligent for. And that actually works the same if you're building a house or anything. But in, in this context, we're talking mostly about general contractors and subs. But indemnification means to pay back. So the RCW I've listed in there, and I've also included it later in the slide, in Washington State, we're a type 2 indemnity state, which is different than most other ones. And it says in there that you can't transfer your sole negligence. So, for example, if you are a homeowner and you hire a subcontractor or general, not subcontractor, a general contractor to come do a project, you still own that property. And if somebody falls down on that property, you can't transfer that risk. So what happens is, is they get an additional insured certificate from the general contractor, and they think that they're good, and they're not because they can't transfer their sole liability, their own liability to the, to the general contractor. So if you have a project where you're doing it for an owner, especially new construction, it's really important to make sure from them that they have their own insurance. And a lot of times they don't. And a lot of times the, the, the construction or their, their policy excludes construction happening on their property. And so they're relying on the general contractor's policy. And then if something's not the general contractor's fault, which happens, then they don't have coverage. So that's a very important thing to understand. Also in your subcontractors, that second bullet down, you want to say in your subagreements that everything that I have to do, you have to do too. So when you hire the subcontractor and they hire the subcontractors below them, you're telling your sub that you are requiring them to do everything that, from them that they're requiring from you. Did that make sense? Okay, oh good. <laughs> um, the additional insured certificates, those forms, we always talk about additional insureds, and now the form has been changed where you can check a box that says additional insured on it. But you have to get the forms. And the next couple slides are going to explain that. But, and there's two different types of forms. There's the, all, all insurance policies are split into two sides. It's the premises and operations coverage. So it's the premises trip and fall type liability. And then the operations of the construction happening. And then there's after construction, which is 
the construction defects that can come up later and the damage from those. So I always just draw a line like, you know, this is during construction and this is after construction. And you need both forms from your subs. And again, in the packet, there's an example certificate that you could use to obtain your subcontractor certificates with the forms that are attached. Problem with the forms is, is that the different insurance companies use different forms. So I've shown you what are like the industry standard, but they can look be different than that. So you just, you have to just do your best, basically. Um, okay, here's a big question. I took the uh, NAHB residential superintendent course so I could be the fly on the wall, and it was, it was pretty good. I was sitting in the room with all these superintendents that work for my builders, right? And, and they're learning all this stuff, and I'm listening to them, and they have no idea who I am because I'm working for their owners, right? Well, some of them knew me, but most of them didn't. I found out all kinds of crazy things, but the main thing I discovered is most of them have never read the subcontractor agreement, ever. But they're the ones in the field that are enforcing the subcontractor agreement they've never read. See the problem? <laughs> so... It's really, really important that, the, that it's not just paperwork. It's really important. Those are legal documents that are going to come back to haunt you in court. And you want to make sure that if you've got a disciplinary program in your, in your contract or you've got different things about cleanup or safety, all the things that are in your subcontractor agreement, that your subs are trained and understand what they're supposed to be enforcing. And the big granddaddy is daily reports. And I can tell you, I talk to new clients that call me all the time in existing clients who don't have daily reports. So in that instance earlier of the roofing contractor, they had daily reports, and that helped. And what a daily report does, and again, example in the packet, is it says what the weather was like that day, who was on site that day, what suppliers delivered that day. You know, Do a walkthrough around the site. And it's, if you keep those documented and in your project file, that right there is the best piece of paper you could ever have. That will save you in court more times than not because, you know, these guys that come along and sue you later, they didn't write all that down. They're going to say it was raining that day and it wasn't or whatever it might be. Or they're going to say, you know, like they said that the guy said he fell off the roof the day that the sub wasn't even there. So daily reports, daily reports, daily reports. Cheap, 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 easy to do. You could do it on notebook paper and then put them in the project file, image those things. Again, Better than your insurance policy. That will save you. Um, how to save money. Daily reports. Did I say that yet? <laughs> Buy a really good insurance policy and keep your, keep your documentation in order. Things need to be signed. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times the claim comes in and the contract's not signed by both parties. Well, it's not a contract unless it's signed by both parties. And you can't do it. There's nothing worse than I get, get it and I'm like, I want to collect everything for the claim so that to save the adjuster the time because when the adjuster does it, they charge you for those expenses on your loss runs, which count against you later. So to help my client, I always want to collect everything up front for them. But there's my other motivation is that I'm looking to see what the potential problems are going to be. And, you know, half the time I get, give me a copy of the subcontractor agreement, I look, it's not signed, you know, for the love of God. So <laughs> basically... You, documentation, take the paperwork seriously. It's more important than building the house right. Um, and then finally down here, cyber liability. If you have a cell phone, you need cyber liability. If you have c computers or anything, it's, it's the new coming thing. And, and basically, it's going to get more expensive. We call it grandfathering. So if you wait five years, it's going to cost five years worth of premium more in five years. So you may as well just get on it right now and have it because if something happens and any kind of information is leaked from your phone that it, and anything related to any of your customers and you're sued and you don't have coverage, it's not going to be good. So everybody now gets a cyber quote with their renewals or I'm trying to do that anyway, but I put it on the list of recommendations and hope somebody looks at them. But cyber liability must have. Um, and I don't know, Bob, Bob's a personal lines agent. I don't know, are you starting to include those on the homeowner's policies now? Yeah, cyber, 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 cyber. Was that a question, Bob? Or are oh. you just making a statement? I asked him, sorry. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay, change the slides. Okay, so on the certificate... There's an example in the packet. 
they uh, basically the reason why you have to have those forms. You can't just get the certificate. You must have the forms because at the top of the certificate, there's a disclaimer that says the certificate is issued as a matter of information only, and only and confers no rights upon the certificate holder, which is you. The certificate does not affirmatively or negatively amend, extend, or alter the coverage afforded by the policies below. The certificate of insurance does not constitute a contract between issuing insurers, authorized representative, producer, or the certificate holder. Again, you. So you've got this piece of paper, and you think you're, you're great because you've got this piece of paper, but the piece of paper is worthless without the forms attached to it. Then it gets goes on to even tell you again, important, the certificate holder is, is, is an additional insured. The policies must be endorsed. And that form is what we use in our world is the endorsement. If subrogation is waived, subject to basically that just goes on to say that if you must have all the forms. A statement on the certificate does not confer rights to the certificate holder in lieu of such endorsements. So you must have them. I can't hear you. Hold on one second, Todd. So you mentioned about the form that mm -hmm. needs to be filled out besides the AI right. certificate, right? Right. Are you reading the actual insurance coverage on the subcontractors or you know, insurance coverage? If I'm reviewing, I'm, I, I have a trained eye, so I'm real good at it. But the, that's why in there I gave you the sample with the, the forms. And there's the two sides, the premises and operations and the completed operations. But yes, you should read them. So or, the form that you're talking about is like a checklist of things to cup, things to check on the subcontractor's insurance on the AI. Yes, the, the example is in there. So the certificate form that you're used to seeing with all the blah 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 on it. <laughs> then there's two more forms in the example in there that are the, are the two different main forms that you need to ask for each time. And then you have to just use your best judgment because you aren't a trained insurance person. So you want to make sure that the forms, either they're going to be exactly like what I've shown in the example, or they're going to say additional insured. And you want to look for things that say ongoing operations and completed operations are the two key terms. So you want to scan them and look for that. It's super important. Well, the, this was... This was the most depressing speech I've ever heard in my life. But I'm so sorry. That, <laughs> <laughs> know, you want to build a beautiful project, and I'm telling you, forget that part. Do the paperwork. Like, okay. Hey, you guys better wake up. But, but no, we, we want to hear. So when we get the AI certificates, you're saying that that's not good enough. No. It's worthless because of the previous slide. What? It, the piece of paper. Well, I have is, been listening, but that's a scary thought, right? It is. It's terrifying. That's why I'm here to tell you all this, because you don't know. And it's impossible to communicate this to everybody all the time. That's why you hire Shelly, everybody. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's serious business. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in courtrooms, and, you know, it's the missing paperwork every time. That, that The reason why it's not the construction. It's the paperwork every time. Let's go down one more, hand. Okay, so these are just some things to consider. Basically, there's different types of general liability insurance, the occurrence and claims made, which I've explained in the future slide. But most contractors buy occurrence policies, but I've seen them. I just, had a, I just lost an account to somebody who decided to buy a claims made policy from another agent. And a claims made policy means that you have to build the home, have the event happen, and make the claim during that policy period, or you have no coverage. And that never happens. So it's really cheap for a reason. Um, I can tell I'm losing some of you, so I'll speed it up here. Whoop, the guys are glazing over. <laughs> I could do this for hours. <laughs> I'm like, I got a window. They're going to listen to me for 20 minutes. All right. <laughs> Shelly, you have five minutes. Okay. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so some of the things I want you to think about is do, their, do your subcontractors hire lower tier subcontractors? And if they do, you need to make sure that your subcontractors getting their certificates below them because you are responsible. If one of those lower tier subcontractors employee gets hurt on that job site, it's your liability. And so you want to put that statement 
that I put in an earlier paragraph in all your contracts. And then there's one thing that misrepresentation clause, when your subs are buying policies, they're just trying to get what the cheapest thing they can. You know, they're just, a lot of them are little guys and they don't have the money. And so they misrepresent. They say they're doing things that they're not doing. They know they're working in tract homes and they say they don't, that kind of thing. And if you misrepresent anything in an insurance policy, it voids your coverage flat out. And they'll look for it. They'll find it. Okay, one more. These are the standard exclusions in a general liability policy, and they're everything that you would expect, basically. So pollution, equipment, mobile equipment, workers' compensation, auto, all of that. That is why you have to have all the other separate policies. And one more. So some of the typical exclusions on policies, remember I talked about in the beginning how you can buy a big, you can buy a big policy without any exclusions, and very expensive, the way we manage that cost is to put exclusions on. And some of the typical ones that we see are, you, I mean, I had a guy sent in the thing, and it was residential plumbing, and he had a residential exclusion on his policy. I mean, mind-blowing. So uh, tract work, multifamily, mixed use, some of them will say you can't go over a certain number of stories. There's just, uh, they can, the carriers, especially the, the surplus lines carriers that aren't regulated by our commissioner, can put in there, if they did the work on a Tuesday, it's not covered. So I'm telling you this just from a buyer beware standpoint. If it's much less than the other one, there's a reason. They've done something to you in that contract that you aren't going to know about until you have a claim and it's not covered. Uh, classification limitation, if you're a framer, that's really expensive. So they sometimes they go in and try to say, I install cabinets. Misrepresentation. The carriers will put classification clauses on their policy to say, we only cover this guy for cabinets. And that will come up later. Next one. Uh, let's see, is there anything I'm trying to do faster? Okay, action over that bolded one on the bottom. It's an unacceptable safety in workplace because it's a strict liability. The GC is responsible for the site safety of all employees, including all subs and suppliers, while on the job site. The property owner is responsible for injuries on his property, so he's second in line. Let me tell you one last quick story, and then I'll take questions. I had a, a good builder, very good builder. He had a very well-known material dealer deliver some lumber. He had every expectation that that lumber company had trained their employees. Well, it turned out there was a trainee, and, they, and he, the superintendent said, drop the lumber over there, and he didn't know how to operate the broom, and he ended up losing his legs. It's a big case. And basically, because he was a supplier, they didn't have a subcontractor agreement from him because they weren't performing any tangible work on the job site. And my, my owner, my, my builder, ended up getting sued for that, and he was responsible for all of it, all because his superintendent said, drop it over there. So very, very, I mean, you have to watch. You need those daily reports, and you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent, and you do that with paperwork. Questions? Okay, so <clears throat> Shelly's in a wheelchair, and she's, I think she scared most of us um, half silly. <laughs> so first of all, Shelly, can we please give Shelly a huge hand? How you doing? I'm a little hot. It's a little warm up here. Oh my gosh. Um, Shelly, thank you for coming down here. Shelly knows her stuff. And um, in the next couple of months, as she continues through rehab and has an opportunity to meet with you, Please, please, please grab one of her business cards. They're on the table. Yeah, email me your questions. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, really, I, I, have, I have questions here, okay. too. Okay, I really I appreciate the questions because if, if people learn more, it just makes everybody better. Agree. So, Shelly, thank you for coming down here. I so appreciate it. Oh, my God. Um, all right. One more hand. One more hand. Thank you. Talk about tenacious. Tenacious insurance, awesome, beautiful babe. Questions. Number one, to be clear, there are additional re documents required from your subcontractors besides the certificate of insurance. Is this true? Even if the general contractor is named as the additional insured on the, on the policy? Yes. As we, the one slide showed where it said it does not confer any rights upon the additional insured, all that, you have to have those forms. Absolutely. Those are more important than the certificate. 
Mm -hmm. And don't throw those things away. You keep those documents forever. Because if you have a claim, you know, five years down the road, you need every year's worth of those. Because every year's worth, especially water damage, water damage is occurring over a bunch of years, which means every one of those carriers along the way participates in the claim. And you must have each certificate along the way. Okay. Did I answer that? Did Shelly answer that question? Okay. Next, would cloud-based programs like BuilderTrend work as daily log documentation? Yes. BuilderTrend's a really good program. Good yeah. If it just, it's about getting something documented that talks about who was there that day and what the weather was like in the stage of construction. Perfect. If a homeowner hires an unlicensed cash contractor and that contractor gets injured, does the homeowner's insurance policy cover that injury claim? Doubtful. <laughs> You'd have to look at their policy. I don't sell personal lines. That's kind of Bob's question. But you hire an unregistered contractor that gets hurt on your, jobs, uh, on, on your house, and you're liable for it. I, you know, I don't know. Probably MedPay would pay something. But, you know, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Look them up on L&I. It's worth the extra money to have a really a professional contractor. I have three more questions I'm reading. If there are more questions, bring them up to me. Would a sign-off sheet in an on-site safety manual count as good for a sub? Did I say that right? Count as good for a sub? I'm not I don't understand. You're talking about your own safety manual? That helps, but you still need them to have their own safety program. And you should actually ask for their safety program yeah. and have them turn it in. If they don't have one, help them get it. Yeah. They can do that through L&I. Yeah. Uh, so Shelly was saying, Tracy knows about that. <laughs> yeah. Not because of my company, but because I used to own a safety company for seven years. Um, and do audits and all sorts of things, yeah. expert witness, you name it. Yes. Um, and yes, they need to have their own safety program. Yes. If they don't have it steered to L&I, they can get one for free through L&I. Mm -hmm. They've got to have one of their own. Everybody has to have their own safety plan. Yeah. I'd give you a knuckle, but look at it. Nice. <laughs> nice. Ow, that ring is huge. <laughs> That's my ring. <laughs> do email communications work as documentation in a lawsuit? Yes. But I wouldn't rely on that. You need signed contracts. Both parties sign, you know, that there's a, I mean, I could give everybody here, here's a, basically a subcontractor packet, and this is what you need to do. That is what you need. Emails are, they're great, but they aren't going to, they aren't, they help. They can hurt you usually, usually like in the case I talked about earlier, they hurt you usually more than help you. Eric will go around and pick up questions as you see. So <laughs> yeah, there's another one. Um, home maintenance manual. Um, how have homeowners? Oh, how do the homeowners sign? So, how do the homeowners sign, and what should be included in the manual? Okay, so there's lots of there's um, there's a bunch of systems out there, but maintenance manuals are your basic you know change out your furnace filters, caulk your windows, all that kind of stuff. There's a home care manager. They do them for $25 each. They give them to you on a disc and hard copy. And I think they actually transmit them and everything for you. But ideally, what you want is them to sign off on that as part of escrow. So it's in your escrow file that they've received that document. But if nothing else, having some sort of receipt in your own project files is good. Right. So when they come back and sue you because they're, you know... There's water damage because they didn't do what they were supposed to. You can go, oh, but you signed here and we told you, right? I always joke about give them a basket of fruit and a bottle of Clorox and their maintenance manual. Sign here. <laughs> now, is that really for a new homeowner or is, could that be used uh, for a remodeling substantial remodels, too? when you're doing additions, absolutely, you should have something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of overkill on a small kitchen and bath project, but if you're doing, you know, significant remodels, absolutely. So on the walkthrough, they just sign off that they received the whole maintenance manual. Yeah, or you can do it, you know, when you're doing a punch list type stuff or whatever, but get it in your file. PDF things, PDFs will save your life, and you could throw away the hard copies, as long as it's legal now. So the PDFs, could, because you can't change the dates and documentation of that, you can't alter it. They can't say there's no way they can get out of it. 
I'm reading my last question. If oh, Eric, if you if Eric, you, if you can walk around and pick up some more right, right over here. <laughs> Even though Eric is totally sleep deprived. This Thank is so you, much Eric. information to cover in this short amount of time. Next question. We just have a few more minutes. Uh, is the this is a great question though. Is the general contractor liable or at risk if a homeowner hires other workers oh. on site if working in other areas of the home, separate projects, same home? Yes. <laughs> they end up liable. In the absence of anything else, you're responsible for that job site. Basically, if you want to hire them, come in and do the faux painting or whatever it is, you complete your contract, you sign off, you get paid, they come and do their own stuff, you have a new contract and you start over, but do not let them bring in their own people. That is the biggest, baddest thing you can do. Those guys always get hurt and you're always going to be liable for it. Bad. All right, next question. How is it even remotely possible for a small contractor, less than 10 employees, to legally exist? When you describe, sounds like two full-time employees just for the paperwork. <laughs> it's, it's the heavy regulation in Washington and our laws. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, the copies of some of the laws I put in that PowerPoint that you'll get at the end, but I mean, we are one of the most consumer-friendly states. I mean, honest to God, if you're a general contractor, you take that job, you're liable. You, there's no way out of it. It's just how much you're going to pay, and it's about the paperwork. And yes, it takes a lot of employees, and there are services. I have a separate company besides American that does this on contract, qualifying the subcontractors for builders. And it was, ironically, when the market turned and everybody was, was you know, winding down and laying off people and everything else and cutting, you know, they didn't want to pay their master builder dues, but they didn't fire us. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, oh, oh, God. God. I think I'm reading the last question tonight. All right. Do subs without employees need a safety plan as well? Yes. Everybody needs a safety plan. Okay. All right. right. One more big hand for Shelly Lucas Kennedy, please. <laughs>